Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. As we continue into week two of our series we are calling If Then, we will be in discussion on what the term legacy means and what it means for us as individuals. We will also be discussing what it looks like through God's eyes. Let's listen in. So like Tim said, we're going to be rolling out a few new things. One of the new things that we're able to roll out right now is a, a new t- a smart giving, like Tim mentioned. And, uh, and so instead of the number that uh, you normally give, if you give via text or you give smart giving, we, we we're changing to uh, kind of a new database called Church Community Builder. And one of the things that it changes with that is our, is our text to give. And so instead of actually texting a phone number, what is up, Ellie? How are you? Um, <laughs> It'll get good in a second. I'm sorry. I, I just got to go over this business side. Real, no need to cry. It's just business. Um, but to text for smart giving, it, it's just such a fun, easy way. Uh, we just want to encourage you to text Motion CC um, to seven seven nine seven seven. So all you got to do is enter seven seven nine seven seven. Just text Motion CC. There's some prompts, and you can just give via text. Uh, we we are so grateful for your faithfulness uh, over the last two years as we are walking into year three as a church. That just feels so crazy to me, and we're believing that God has greater things in store for year three than He had in year two. And, and so we're believing for the best. And one of those things that we keep mentioning is this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, it, as you leave today, man, please stop by the, the Welcome Center on your way out and grab one of our 21 days of prayer and fasting um, things to pray for guide. Um, for some, I mean, honestly, sometimes there's moments where it's like my brain doesn't kick in sometimes as to what I should be praying for. And so um, I just listed off a bunch of things that I thought sh- should get prayer over the next 21 days. And, uh, and so make sure you grab one of these, man. Put it in a place that you see, uh, man, every day. And, and, y- and you don't need to be fasting to be praying for these things. But as, as we specifically designate time, as we disconnect from the world and connect into God, man, these are just some things that, uh, that man, I'm just so excited to pray about and believe that God's going to do even greater things in the midst of them, like our city, our nation, our government leaders, our city kids, all this sort of stuff. So I'm excited about this. I don't know about you, but man, I'm pumped. So Justin, I'm going to give this to you because I'm so excited. And I just, you know, there you go, buddy. Um, so we are in part two of a series uh, that we are calling If Then. And we kicked it off last week. And um, and man, I hope that, uh, I mean, I know it was a little, it was, I was very like, scrambled eggs brain last week and and I don't know if it was just the cold it was the first service of the new year um, but hopefully God said what God needed to say in the midst of my scrambled eggs brain and um, and I'm usually a, a huge advocate of go back to the podcast and the website and listen to just maybe skip that one because it's just it's just scrambled eggs and, and so but focus in this, sto- this morning because I believe that God's got something very um, very direct uh, to speak to us today but uh, just once again before we uh, get into this w- um, we celebrate a lot of things here at Motion City and and we we like like Tim said we like to celebrate and acknowledge God for the good things that he's done and I can't disconnect the good things God has done with the people that God has brought to Motion City Church uh, whether it's simply not simply because you're not just attending but you're engaging with us together but um, we um, for those of you who don't know our story, when we planted the church, we were asked by churches to not seek anyone out from other churches to join the team, which means that we depended very heavily on prayer of God, would you bring people, not to Motion City Church, but would you bring people who love this city 
enough to be a part of a church in this city. God, we want these people to love this city more and the potential that exists within this city more than the idea of, of a church, but would be so in love with Minneapolis, so in love with the South Side, so in love with this neighborhood that, man, I would be, that they would be willing to be a part of, of a startup. And, uh, and one of those people, and I, I said this when he preached, but one of the people that I prayed for was I wanted somebody like Blake Mays. And God didn't give me someone like Blake Mays. God gave me Blake Mays. And it was such an amazing answer to prayer. And Blake has served in such a variety of different, he served as an intern. Uh, he served as, he's been a youth leader. He's been our, our community groups, or no, our, our community outreach director. And, and, and so, and, but as time goes on, you know, things change. And Blake's getting married to a wonderful lady named Lisa. And, and, and we are so excited about that. But one of the things that I'm most excited about is that uh, God has shown and kind of revealed to Blake the thing that Blake is supposed to pursue with his life, which is education. And uh, we are so excited about that. But one of the sad things for me personally is that he is leaving a vacant seat at the, the leadership table at Motion City Church because he is going to be pursuing um, his master's in education and wants to be a counselor and is just, man, this dude is like, chasing after a big dream. And, and so this is not the end of anything. He and Lisa are still going to be a part of the church. We're so excited about that. We're just so pumped. But this is not the end of a relationship, but this is just the changing of an assignment. And, and so, Blake, man, thank you so much for everything that you've done and for everything that you're going to continue to do because you're still going to serve and you're still going to just be awesome and you're just going to be here, and I appreciate that. And, uh, but, man, um, I'm so excited by you saying yes to the thing that God has called you to do, I, I believe that you are cr already creating ripples in the, in the lives of students that need someone like you. And so, man, we bless you. Thank you. And, uh, man, I'm so, we are, I am so honored to just be a part of your story, man. So can we thank Blake this morning uh, just for all that he's done, man. Love you, dude. Proud of you. Man, been good things this morning. Good things. And, uh, and so, but, uh, but as we continue in our series, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to sprint through this stuff, uh, hopefully, but, uh, but as we continue in our series, if then, uh, one of the things that, that is very evident in life, whether it's evident, uh, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've experienced it, but we live in a culture, we live in a world that exists with a lot of ifs and thens. If you don't want a speeding ticket, then don't speed. If you don't want to be unhealthy, then choose to be healthy. If you want to be a friend, then be a friend. You know, all these things we exist. If, if my kids don't want me to throw them out of a moving vehicle, then, you know, there's, so, there's all sorts of things. We've either lived it or we've, we've experienced it. And, and, and the amazing thing about 2017. I love the new year. As we said last week, I love uh, the, the, the new sense of expectancy and anticipation for new things, new goals, new dreams, new challenges. The one thing that I know is I need, and you may be like me, I need 2017 to be different than 2016. Like I physically and emotionally, sorry, I uh, just spit on them. Uh, I physically and emotionally need 2017 to be different than 2016. And the one thing that I know 
is that if I need this year to be different than last year, then there's going to be a lot of things in my own life and in my own experience and in my own sphere of influence that I need to address. Like, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better son. I want to be a better brother. I want to be a better uncle, a better friend, a better follower of Jesus. I want to be a better pastor. And the truth is I can spin my wheels effortlessly over and over again in my own strength, in my own understanding, and in my own knowledge. And I can feel like I'm gaining ground because I'm active. But activity does not mean forward momentum. Activity does not mean productivity. And so I can spin my own wheels. I've done that most of my life. I can do things my way and think I'm getting somewhere and then get too tired to realize that I've gone nowhere. Most of the cases when I do things my way, and this may may just be me, I realize that I've actually moved backwards when I do things my way. If I want this year to be different, and if you want this year to be different, then maybe we should try doing things that we've never tried before. If you need 2017 to be different or better than 2016, then maybe you're going to need to do something. Maybe you're going to need to break some ties in relationships. Maybe you're going to actually have to bust open the Bible and find out what God is calling you to do with your life and where he's moving you to. Maybe you're going to need to do something that you've never done to get a result you've never gotten before. But what I know is that you and I will never get to the ifs in our lives until we understand that we first and only have to do things God's way. We can only get to our ifs if we do things God's way. And and so last week, we talked about some big ifs. We talked about a big if. God spoke to to King Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal them. I mean, these are some big ifs and some big thens, but what would be the worst thing ever is if we just reduced God's calling to our lives is some sort of legalistic, formulaic sort of, exp- okay, God, so now I did this, I put my coin in, and now you need to do what I need you to do. You see, the, the truth is, God's already done everything that you and I have ever needed him to do. God has done everything that you and I have already needed him to do. He gave up his son, Jesus, for your sin and for my sin so that we can be in a right-standing relationship with God. Everything else in this life is just frosting on a cake that's already beautifully decorated. And who, how many of us know, man, you could always use more frosting? Depends, what? What? Depends on the type. No, you just go to Target and you get a jar and you get you get you get you get you get the rainbow chip frosting and then you go to the the cookie aisle and you get some some animal crackers and you reinvent Dunkaroos in your living room as a th- it doesn't matter what type of frosting it doesn't it could be it it, it doesn't matter is this if it's frosting it's good man having a baby has messed up your brain <laughs> rebuke that frosting hate in the name of Jesus. Don't make me go Pentecostal on this, man. This is this is this will wreck the morning. No. Um but and <laughs> but truthfully, like and, and and really, can we do this just for a moment and and I don't mean for this to be like a moment uh, where we remember shame. But man, can we really like think about who we were before Jesus? 
I mean, really, who were you before Jesus? Where were you going before Jesus? And God in his mercy and his love gives us Jesus, gives us his son, understanding that we're not strong enough to mend this broken relationship on our own. So he sent someone who was stronger. He sent someone who was greater to mend the relationship that we never, we never could. And so we can't just simply limit this sort of, sorry, this if-then experience, just like, okay, God, I did my thing, now it's your turn to do your thing. What it is, is it's coming under the position when we enter into God's atmosphere, our position and our posture changes. We, we're invited by the scriptures to come before God boldly, but not arrogantly. Come boldly in humility. Come boldly understanding that the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe and the creator of you invites us into a relationship with him. But because God's a loving God, because God is a good father, as we sing sometimes on Sundays, what he does is he sets up these parameters. He sets up these guidelines. He sets up these guardrails, and we actually find them back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to throw that verse up there. This is God uh, engaging with Adam. It says in, in Genesis 2, starting in verse 16, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Adam, I am giving you free domain over everything. Everything you see is yours. Everything that you've experienced thus far, it's yours. And I don't simply want you to just maintain it. I want you to enjoy it. I want it to be for your benefit. I want it to be for your good. I want it to be for your joy and my glory. And, and, and God's saying, like, Adam, you get, to ha- you get to everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. We see already in Genesis, God setting up parameters and guidelines for his creation already existing in excellence and perfection, but God sets up parameters and boundaries. You see, the the thing that I, I know about the road, the physical road, if you drove here, you drove on a road. The thing I love about roads is they're actually very efficient, they're actually very effective to get us where we need to go in, in, in usually an effectively and eff- effective and efficient way, right? Like, I mean, you guys came from Buffalo, so like, you know the road. Like, I drove three blocks, you guys rode. And, uh, and so, but, I mean, it popped in the address, whether it's your phone me the first few times, and then all of a sudden, but all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm on the road, I'm getting to where I need to be effectively and efficiently. There may be some, uh, some construction because we live in Minnesota, and people just put push pins in roads and start breaking them up, and so we have to drive around things, but hopefully MnDOT's on their game, and they're setting up reroutes and detours, and we're getting where we need to go effectively and efficiently. See, the road itself isn't bad because I know what to do with the road. You know, I understand the guidelines and the parameters of the road. Now, my six-year-old and my three-year-old, same road, different outcome. They don't understand that the road is effective for travel. To them, for me as their father, I see the road, and I see their relationship with the road as being one of danger. Because they have yet to understand 
its purpose. They don't, they, they're yet to understand its limits. And so when I see one of my kids running towards the road, I go in a loud, crazy dad mode, and I begin to yell and scream and try to scare them to stop them in their tracks because they don't respect or understand the danger of the road. And God does the same thing with us. He sets up parameters and guidelines, not because he wants to limit our experience, but he loves us enough to keep us safe. God limits us because he loves us. God sets up this limitation in the Garden of Eden. Adam, enjoy all of it. If you want to experience this, then you just got to stay away from this one tree. There's this one tree I need you to stay away from. Everything else, the, everything that your eye can see, and everything, like Mufasa, everything the light touches, you can enjoy, and you can experience, and is yours, and I want you to maintain it, I want you to cultivate it, and I want you to just love it. But there's this one thing. If you want this, then you have to stay away from this. It's not that God's trying to limit Adam's experience. He's trying to protect him because what God says, you're going to surely die. Well, we know that Adam doesn't physically die, but what happens in Genesis 3 is there's a spiritual death. There's a relational death that takes place that, in my opinion, is far worse than any physical death. To be separated from God. God's parameters, and, I, and I, I'm hitting this a lot this morning because it is so important, but God's parameters and God's limits on your life are the continuing reminder that he loves you. God's limits are proof of his love. And if there is a parent out there that doesn't set boundaries for their children, then you are witnessing a parent that does not love their child. But we just want to be, no, you're not supposed to be their buddy. You're supposed to be their parent. And a parent that loves their children is a parent that will set up boundaries for their safety, for their good, for their health, and for their joy. And so in second, as we continue, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 18. And so in the time remaining, which of course is never a lot, um, we're going to be looking at two verses and... Um, we're look, what we looked at last week is God addressing a nation. What we're going to be looking at now is God addressing King Solomon personally, on a personal level. We're seeing God go from a macro to a micro engagement. And so this is what God says. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 17 through 18. But as for you, he says to Solomon, if you faithfully follow me, as David your father did, obeying all of my commands, decrees, regulation, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty. For I made this covenant with your father David when I said one of your descendants will always rule over Israel. God is reminding Solomon of the promise that he made to his father David. Now, for many of us, I don't, you, I don't think of the word dynasty a lot. To be, I mean, I looked up the trailer on YouTube for an old TV show, and it's hilarious. So, if you, it's, I mean, it's just funny. And I almost showed it as the intro video, but I didn't want to lose you before we got started. Because, like, what? Um, but check it out. And you, it's just funny. Um, it, uh, so, um, but many of us don't think of life in, the, in terms of dynasty. But what we do think about and what we need to be thinking about is this word legacy. See, what God is reminding Solomon is I have set up a covenant 
I've set up an agreement. I've set up an arrangement. I've set up a deal with your dad, David. And it involves your legacy. It involves your, your, your actions on earth. It, it involves his actions on earth, your actions on earth, and the repercussions of those reactions and the, that lifestyle for generations to come. See, the truth is we're all leaving a legacy of some kind. I mean, you are leaving a legacy of some kind with your life. I don't care if you if are city kids or you are a college student, if you are uh, single, if you are a newly married couple, if you are new parents, if you are uh, experienced parents. Uh, I, mean, I don't care who you are. You are leaving a legacy, whether you know it or want to. But the, qu- the two questions that I have to ask myself when it comes to me personally, of my legacy, and what I want to ask you of your legacy, these two questions is, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? What legacy do I want to leave? What kind of legacy? And, and the second question is, what kind of legacy am I actually leaving? You see, I like the first question a lot more than the second because the first one's like this dreaming, like this New Year's resolution, like, like, it, like Christmas is over and you've got like six days to just think about, man, the new year, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to work out, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be this type of person, I'm going to be that type of person, I'm going to be this kind of friend, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do that anymore because that got me in nothing but trouble, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all these sort of things. And, and we begin to dream and we begin to, to kind of elevate, I think sometimes, and I do this, I elevate my hope in competition to where, like, my, I actually am. Like, man, I am going to eat nothing but organic, grass-fed, like, good-for-me food. And I'm thinking about that while I am just handful Skittles in my face. You know what I mean? And, and, but, but, but it's fun to dream. It's fun to hope. It's fun to set goals that, man, it's going to take a lot to go after. But, man, come, 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 you know, hell or high water Tuesday, man, I'm going to get to those goals. You know, because I, I'm trying to, to cut out sugar. And I, I, have, I have cut out sugar. And m- my mother-in-law sent me home, and I kid you not, seven pounds of candy from Christmas. It's like she knew what I was trying to do, and she's like, I hate you. And I'm just going to give you all this candy. I'm going to watch you fail. I'm going to laugh at you all the way from brain. No, she doesn't do that. So, Sue, if you listen to this, that's not how I think of you um, most of the time. Um, but uh, um, but, um, but I like the dreaming phase. But the next question is the difficult one. Not what legacy do I hope to leave, but what legacy am I leaving? See, for this question, we have to go from the clouds to the mirror. And sometimes, and, and, and I'll, I'll be honest once again, most of you know way more about me than you'd hope to have known. But honestly, I can't look in the mirror on my own. I usually have to ask somebody to hold the mirror up to me and tell me. Which is hard. But it's necessary. Some of the most necessary things in our life and in our relationship with God are going to be the hardest things that you ever have to do. But just because they're hard doesn't mean they're not worth it. Man, marriage is hard, and it's worth it. Kids are hard, but they're worth it. 
living out the commission and commandment of Jesus in a workplace that is so hard to shine the light of Christ in the midst of the brokenness and darkness of this world. Man, it's hard, but it's worth it. What legacy do I want to leave, and what legacy am I actually leaving? The, the, the relationship between these two questions is actually very, uh, very close. But all of us from time to time need to, to go back to these questions. What kind of legacy am I wanting to leave, and what legacy am I actually leaving? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit will offer us a course correction so that the legacy we want to leave and the legacy that we're leaving actually line up. I, I saw a bumper sticker once that said, live a life so that the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. I used to wear it on a sweatshirt, a black oversized sweatshirt, because I was punk rock like that. Um, and it was, and, and I, I, you know, honestly, I just thought it was like a kitschy thing, and now I'm 33, and it was the first thing that popped into my head when I was thinking of this message is, man, am I living so that whoever does my funeral doesn't have to lie? And so this morning, as we just sprint through this stuff, what I want to give us uh, are three steps, three action steps from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 17 through 18, that, that I honestly believe that if we begin to put into practice now, if we put into practice today, if you don't go home and sit on what we've talked about, sit on what we've discussed, but you actually step into the adventure that God has for your life and for my life, I really believe that these action steps will lead you towards a legacy that is worth leaving, and not simply worth leaving, but worth repeating from generation to generation. All right? So here we go. If you're taking notes, point number one is this. Walk. Walk. Action step number one is walk. God is reminding Solomon to follow him as his father David did. See, outside of the Apostle Paul, in, in, in my humble opinion, I don't believe that there is anyone who followed God more purposefully and more intentionally than King David. I am inspired by his life. Now, was King David perfect? Absolutely not. Man, you read the soap opera of his life, and you were like, how on earth did this guy make it? How on earth did this dude make it? And, and you read through his experience, and he's not perfect, but in the midst of his imperfection, he remains faithful. See, check this out. We need to be faithful to God even in our failure. We need to be faithful to God even in our failure. What does that look like? Well, being faithful in your failure means faithful from turning from your unfaithfulness. Man, King David, I messed up. I acknowledge it. I address it. So I'm going to turn from it. And I'm going to move the opposite direction because I know what it's like to be distanced from God. And I don't want to be like that anymore. I need to turn. I need to get as close to God as I can be. And in the midst of his unfaithfulness, he is faithful, and he doesn't allow, allow his unfaithfulness to define him. I think that's amazing. That's freedom for me. Because I so often, and maybe you are the same way, you so often associate your character and your legacy with your momentary failure. Well, here's the deal. God has got greater plans for your failure than you do. God's got greater promises for your failure than you do. Your failure and your faithfulness to turn from your failure and continue to follow God might be the one thing that the person that you, are been pray you have been praying for for years needs to see. Your failure 
may lead to someone's freedom. And so, and so we see David fail but remain faithful and turn, which is why in 1 Samuel 3.14 and in Acts 13.22, the Bible refers to David that in the midst of his failure, he was still a man after God's own heart. God's saying, Solomon, walk with me like your dad did. So the truth is you cannot follow Jesus sitting down. You can't follow Jesus sitting down. There's action that's involved in following Jesus. If you want to leave a legacy that's worth leaving, you, some of you actually need to put up on the big boy and the big girl pants and decide for yourself to get off of your butt and get off from the spectator seat and actually follow after this dude. Like, Jesus, if you're going this way, I'm going to go this way. If you're cutting right, I'm cutting right. If you tell me to sit next to Andrew, I'm going to sit next to Andrew. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to follow where you lead me to, to where I'm because I'm walking. I'm engaging with who you are. It's so hard to follow Jesus when you're sitting. This life of following Jesus is, is an exciting and adventurous, difficult, painful, yet rewarding life. And you will never experience it if you remain seated. It's so funny that I'm using this analogy on my basketball coaches here, but I didn't sign up to play basketball to sit on the bench. I, can't, I, I wanted a reason to tear away the tear-away pants. I didn't sign up for the team to sit. I signed up to play. What a weak-minded goal. I, want, I, just, I just want the jersey. You know, I just want, I just want the warm-up gear. I want to be a part of, but not really a part of. I want the credit, but I don't want to do anything about getting to the goal. And here's the deal. Millennial generation, can I challenge you with this? If you want to see change happen, don't wait for us to do it. Don't wait for us to do it. If God's calling you to go somewhere, man, get off your butt and go. Will we misunderstand you? Probably. Will we talk bad about you in our grown-up circles? Maybe. Because that's what they did to my generation. And that's what their generation did to theirs. We're so hesitant about things we don't understand. But man, if God's calling you to something, man, don't wait for someone else to do it and then jump into the game, man. Plow your own path. Follow after Jesus. Even when it's lonely, even when it's misunderstood. Because man, Jesus was following after God and he was misunderstood, so misunderstood it led him to the cross. But you can't follow Jesus sitting down. You gotta put on your big boy pants. You gotta put on your big girl pants. And you got to go after this. God's not looking for perfect, but he is looking for faithful. So get off your butt and walk and follow Jesus. Point number two is this. Uh, action step number two is do. See, King David didn't function off of his own agenda, and God wasn't calling Solomon to lead the kingdom his way. God is calling Solomon to do the things that God has purposed and called for him to do. See, it's very easy for me to think that this is my church. I'll be honest, it's very easy for me to fall into the understanding that this is my church. And, and, and the truth is, I am the pastor of this church for now. And hopefully I'm, I'm the pastor of this church for the rest of my natural or non-senile life. Um, but the truth is, this is Jesus' church. See, he's the senior pastor. I'm more like the campus pastor. 
And so what we do and why we do what we do and why we do the things that we do, it comes directly from God. It comes directly from the way that God leads us to do things. And, and here's, the, here's the rub. Here's the difficult thing. Some of the things that God has called me to do and called this church to do, I don't like. I, it makes me uncomfortable. Because it's not just your sin that I'm dealing with and I'm talking to, but it's God dealing with me and my sin. And so often, I would say 98% of the time, the things that we're talking about are not things that I believe that God has given me to speak to you, but it's things that God is directly speaking to me. And I only know how to live one way, and that's vulnerable. And I ha only know one way to live, and that's way more honest than many of you hope for me to be. I'm just a representative of somebody else. Solomon is a representative of someone else. David, his father, is a representative of someone else. When God says to go, you go. When God tells you to leave, you leave. When God tells you to stay, you stay. When God wakes you up in the morning and tells you to leave South Minneapolis and go to a Starbucks in Egan to work on a message. And it just doesn't make sense. But you get up and you get dressed and you have to try to somehow explain to your wife why you're using gas to go to Egan, to go to Starbucks, to work on a message for a Sunday morning. And you sit in Starbucks and you just, you're, you're, you're just battling back and forth like, why am I in Egan? And then all of a sudden, somebody walks in, and, and just you notice them for the first time. You actually, like, notice them. And it's like God gives you the ability to read their mail. And so you get up from your seat, and you go over to this person, and you just say, hey, you know, sorry, I was, I, I was going to get coffee. Can I just buy you a cup of coffee? So you buy them a cup of coffee. They're a little bit confused. You're still confused. And, and then all of a sudden, they sit next to the table next to you, and, 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 I'm just working, and, and you're just working on a message. I got my Bible out. And, and so we begin a dialogue. And you begin to tell your story, and all of a sudden you see a, a lip begin to quiver because um, you're telling your story is his story. Your, your story is one of depression. My story is one of depression and numerous suicide attempts and thinking my life is worthless and meaningless because I'm not perfect. But I met God in a real way in Rockford, Illinois in a sh in, in, at a conference. And I surrendered to God in a shower at a Holiday Inn in Rockford, Illinois because I didn't want people to see me losing my brain crying because for the first time in my life I experienced hope. For the first time in my life I experienced real grace. And you begin to tell this person your story and there's tears streaming down his face. And you have no idea, you had no idea why God woke you up to send you to Egan. And all of a sudden, a very frustrated wife comes in and begins to address her husband, but then notices that he's crying. And then sits at the table, and you get to tell your story all over again. And at a Starbucks in Egan, you get to pray with a couple to receive Christ. And you see lives renewed by hope and grace. So when that happens, you wake up in South Minneapolis and you get your car keys and you drive to Egan and you go to Starbucks and you work on a message because when you, 
following Jesus leads to doing. And action set number three is keep. If I could just have Elena come up at the end. Isn't that cool? This may be the weirdest thing you will ever hear in church because it's about, it's the weirdest thing that I'm ever going to hear in church. But the truth is, I don't follow Jesus because it's smart. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't follow Jesus because it's the smartest thing for me to do. I don't follow Jesus because it's the easiest thing to do. I know this is weird, but just hear me out, and, and we'll be done in just a second. Because it's not smart, or it's not easy to follow Jesus. It goes against every bit of humanity I have in my being to go against my natural bend, which is a sinful bend, mind you, but it's to go against my, my natural tendencies to suppress my finger quote freedom to live a life that is in pursuit of this guy. I mean, I, mean I, I think of it, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is the, like, this is the weirdest thing you could ever c try to convince someone to do. Which is why I don't think many people come to Jesus through verbal convi con uh, uh, convincing. Well, here's a point, and this is your point, so here's my point, and this is your, I don't think that happens. Maybe sometime, praise the Lord when it does. But see, I follow Jesus not because it's the smartest thing for me to do and not because it's the easiest thing for me to do, but in Rockford, Illinois, I experienced grace for the first time. And my life of hopelessness was replaced with purpose and hope. I don't follow Jesus because it's smart. I follow Jesus because I have been overcome with this radical, scandalous grace that takes me from where I was to who God has purposed for me to be. I've experienced freedom from my shame. I've experienced freedom from brokenness. I haven't thought about killing myself since 21. I am 33 years old now. I haven't thought about it once. Do I still deal with depression? Absolutely. But now it's not the thing that I believe that keeps me from God. It's the thing that I am dependent on to bring me to my knees in front of God. So it's the same problem, just purposed differently. I don't keep to the commandments and the followers of Jesus. Because it's easy. I keep to the commandments and, 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 and words and life of Jesus because it's worth it. Because I want to show the world there's a different way to live. I want them to know that there's hope in the midst of hopelessness. I want them to know that there's light on the other end of the tunnel. I want my girls to know that Jesus is worth following. Even in the good and bad times. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what comes their way, Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth surrendering my life to. Jesus is worth submitting my plans and my hopes and my future and my past and my present and my assumptions and my expectations. I want them to know that he's worth surrendering all of that. keeping God's commandments and keeping within God's parameters is not led by legalism, 
but it's the desire I have to know God and to live within his blessing, not for simply my sake, but for my kids' sake and my grandkids' sake and my great-grandkids' sake and for your kids' sake and for your kids' kids' sake and for your the next generation of people who occupy this church or a church long after I'm gone. It's not the smartest thing to do with your life, and it's not the easiest thing to do with your life, but it's the one thing that this world needs for us to step up and do. Follow Jesus no matter what, to wherever, whenever, no explanation required. That's a legacy worth leaving. Heck, man, that's a legacy I'd follow. And this is the legacy that God calls us to. So this morning, our big picture, is simp- our big idea is simply this. We all leave a legacy. Let's just make sure it's the legacy we want to leave. And I'll just add a little asterisk to this. It won't be. Unless we follow God. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to stand this morning. I appreciate you hanging with me. But with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, can I ask you a question? I'm going to ask you two, actually. What's the legacy that you want to leave? I mean, actually think about, like, start naming things, like, as, as I believe that things are already jumping into your head. <laughs> Man, just begin to name them. Just begin to acknowledge, acknowledge them. What's the legacy you want to leave? The second question I want you to ask is this. What legacy are you actually leaving? Because this morning, I don't want to lead you in a prayer Because honestly, leading you in a prayer doesn't mean anything. But what I want you to do is if the legacy that you're wanting to leave and the legacy that you're actually leaving are a little further apart than you would like them to be, on your own, I just want to invite you to surrender to Jesus. I just want to invite you to surrender to his plan for your life. I want to invite you to surrender to his purposes for your life. Will it be easy? No. I never want to promise you that it will be. But what I, wa- what I do know about Jesus is that he says that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And as we follow after him, we're following in a path that has already been walked for us. It's like walking in snow behind dad. See, he leaves his footprints in this. Just put your feet where his feet have been. Put your feet where dad's feet have been. What legacy do you want to leave? What legacy are you actually leaving? And if they don't line up, can I just impress upon you as your pastor, as someone who loves you, and as someone who needs to do, actually needs to do this as well this morning, um, can we surrender to Jesus? As God begins to work, and as, 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 as his work begins and ends in this moment, 
man, you're free to go. You're free to leave. Have a blessed week. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. Man, grab a prayer and fasting guide on your way out. Grab a January soap reading. But as God is dealing in this moment, I don't want to rush it, and I don't want to speed through it. Elena's just going to play for just a little bit. Thank you, by the way. And as God deals with you, and as you deal with yourself, when it's done, just feel free to get up and go. So, Father, would you just minister so perfectly, so precisely in this moment right now? God, you've hit me so hard with this. So God, as you deal with me and as you deal with all of us, God, more than our failure and more than our shortcomings, God, your grace and your love and your mercy is greater. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Spend some time. When you're done, be blessed. Have a great week. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.